In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. You will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So this is Luke chapter 1. You have this angel Gabriel coming to Mary, the same angel who just went to Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mom. We talked about that last time. And this angel says, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. <laughs> True statement. We'll get to that in a bit. Mary's troubled and is like, what, what is going on here? Mary sa- the angel says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You're going to have a son. And Mary's like, explain the biology of this to me because I haven't done the things necessary in order to have a child. And the angel explains, no, this is going to come by the Holy Spirit. And Mary's response is, may your word to me be fulfilled. Fast forward several verses to Luke chapter 2. And Luke writes this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, awesome name, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, welcome to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number five, Christmas part two, and I am calling this Your Worth Being Born For. (laughs) Because oftentimes when we get to Easter and the resurrection, we hear that we're, we're worth dying for. Jesus died on Good Friday, was raised to life. On Resurrection Sunday, where we're dying for, we're worth being raised for. And that's all very true and good, and let's keep saying that. But before that ever happened, you were worth being born for. You're worth being born for. And this is about the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. Uh, Last week, I realized that uh, the clutch on my 2005 Toyota Corolla was going out. I bought this car in November of 2004, so I've had it for 14 years and one month. And it has a, this car has 170,000 miles on it, four doors and three hubcaps. And this is the first time I had to replace the clutch, so I was pretty pleased about that. And my neighbor uh, works on cars for a living. That's what he does, and he's great at it. And Thank God for people who can work on cars because I certainly cannot. And so I took the car to him and uh, I said, can you, can you help me with this? And so he changed my clutch for me. And a couple days ago, the car was in my driveway. He brought the car back. And so we went to take a test drive and uh, the clutch was like, I was used to my clutch that had 170,000 miles on it and it would just catch. And so uh, I could, my timing could be totally off with the clutch and the gas pedal and it wouldn't matter. It would just catch and go. Uh, but immediately once I put my left foot on this clutch, it was so smooth and went in so easily that I stalled the car three times in a row when I first started to try to drive it. I probably stalled my car twice in the last year. I stalled it three times in about 30 seconds and my neighbor just starts laughing at me and he said this line. He said, you're going to have to learn to drive this car again. (laughs) And it's true. I have had to learn to drive it again. You're going to have to learn to drive this car again. And here's why I say this. Every year about this time, I think it's good to talk about what this birth means again. What the Christmas story means again. Sometimes... We, we have to relearn some things about the Christmas story because it, it's easy to just get to Christmas Day or even beyond Christmas Day like New Year's and not even stop to think about it. And it, it becomes about something else like chaos or how many presents we can buy or whatever, whatever it is. And I think 
on a yearly basis, it's good to stop and think about what this story means again. Because Jesus being born, it's an invitation into something beautiful, and it's an invitation that's for all of us. And so what I want to talk about today is your worth being born for. And I think uh, I want to talk about three things that, that the birth of Jesus means to me. And the first is this. The Christmas story means your humanity is good. Your humanity is good. Uh, there is a divine element to the Christmas story. You read through what we just read through in the Gospel of Luke and talks about the Son of the Most High, which was another way of saying the Son of God. So this is the Son of God we're talking about. Uh, the Son of the, the Most High was a way of referring to God's supreme authority in the Old Testament. There's plenty of, of scriptures that talk about that. Uh, Luke wrote about the throne of David. It was known that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. So this is another way of saying, hey, we're talking about the Messiah here. Uh, the house of Jacob was mentioned, which was another way of saying the nation of Israel or God's people. Uh, the son of God is a line in there, which meant the Messiah. It talks about the glory of the Lord and you have the heavenly host. I mean, Luke is laying it on pretty thick here that there's definitely a divine element to this story. Without the divine element, you do not have the Christmas story. Without the divine element, you do not have the Christmas story. That has to be a part of it. This is about God we're talking about. This is about the Savior of the world we're talking about. But there's also a human element to the story. There is a beautiful simplicity and normalcy to the story. Like where Jesus was born. Jesus was born in a room that was normally reserved for animals. <laughs> so if you, if you ever seen anyone like not act appropriately and you ask them the question, were you born in a barn? I mean, Jesus could actually say yes to that question. This was not a sterile hospital, a, a perfect circumstances or conditions that, that he was born in. Uh, his crib was, was essentially a feeding trough for animals. I remember I was, my wife and I were in Israel uh, maybe 10 years ago now. And we're walking along. I forget what city we were in or what town we were in, but our tour guide stops us and he points at this uh, cement, what was a feeding trough, just sitting, sitting on the ground, this stone, I guess, feeding trough. And he said, you see that? It's like you, you look all around over Christmas and you see in your neighbor's yards and maybe your yard all the, the cute little manger scenes. And he's like, no, no, no. Uh, Jesus was most likely laid in something like this. <laughs> A stone, dirty feeding trough. There's a very, very human element to this story. Uh, Mary is, is pregnant. I've never been pregnant, but, but I'm given to understand it's not always the most comfortable thing in the world. She gives birth. Uh, Jesus is, is a human baby. Uh, he, you hear a song like, uh, No Crying He Made, the line, in a Christmas song. Uh, it's, it's a nice line. It's cute. It's, it's just a lie. <laughs> Jesus was a human baby. There's a very human element to this. There's a, a meme going around right now. I don't, maybe you've seen it. It's 
I think it's Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus, and there's three women there. And the caption says something like, after the three wise men left, the three wiser women came and they brought casseroles and diapers and wine. And <laughs> you laugh at it because, yeah, yeah, if you've ever been through that experience, um, that's those things are kind of helpful after you give birth to a baby. There's a human element to this. This is why we laugh at it. Here's why I say this. Without the human element, you do not have the Christmas story. Without the divine element, you do not have the Christmas story. And without the human element, you do not have the Christmas story. I mean, you're made up of a physical body, but also of the spirit. You, you oftentimes can't separate these two, and, and we try to do it. Without the divine element, you do not have the story. Without the human element, you do not have the story. And here's the deal. If the human experience weren't good, God wouldn't have become human. I mean, your humanity is good. If the human experience were not good, God wouldn't have become human. And so here's a question to think about over this Christmas season. How can you experience your humanity more? I mean, maybe that's one way to celebrate Christmas, is, is figuring out how can you experience your humanity more. Maybe it's you go to the party you were invited to that you normally wouldn't go to. And it's like, nah, I'm just going to sit at home by myself. Maybe you go and you like talk to people, neighbors or friends or family or, or whoever it is. Experience the humanity Maybe it's you need to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling this Christmas season. For some of us, this Christmas season is going to just be full of joy and fun. And like we don't want this time to end because we're enjoying it so much. For others of us, this Christmas season, is there's going to be heartache. It's going to be tough. There's going to be an empty seat at the table. For whatever reason, it, this Christmas season is... Uh, we're grieving through it. Wherever it is you're at, these are human emotions. Allow yourself to feel what you can feel. And for a lot of us, it's going to be a mixture of both. There's going to be pieces of, of joy and fun. There's going to be pieces of grieving. Uh, maybe for you, it's you just need to do something you enjoy just because you enjoy it. Uh, my, we told our kids they, they really want to see Mary Poppins that comes out I don't know what it is, the 21st maybe. And we're going to take him to go see Mary Poppins just because they want to go see it. I, at some point over this break, am going to go see Bohemian Rhapsody because I have not seen it yet. I'll probably end up going by myself. Uh, but I'm just going to do it because I want to I do it. I think that would be fun. Do something that will bring you joy. Maybe it's for, for you, it's just have meaningful conversations. When's the last time you had a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody? A spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a brother or sister, a neighbor, a coworker. Whatever it is for you, how can you experience your humanity more this Christmas season? Because that is an acknowledgement that your humanity is good. And Jesus, the word becoming flesh, is an announcement that your humanity, my humanity, is good. You were worth being born for. Second, uh, the birth of Jesus says that 
there's a better way. There's a better way. The name Jesus, both Matthew and Luke tell us that the angel says, hey, you're going to name this child Jesus. There is a footnote if you read Matthew's gospel. Uh, and don't ignore the footnotes because they're often helpful. And this, there's a passage in Matthew 1, I think verses 21 to 23, where the angel says, you are going to name this child Jesus. And uh, it's verse 21 She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And if you have a Bible, there's a little, there's a letter probably by the name Jesus there. And if you look to the bottom of the Bible, uh, what that tells you is that Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord saves. So the name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can't afford the Bible, uh, message me, tell me, and I'll find a way to get you one (laughs) because I want you to have one. The Lord saves. Which means we need saving from something. Jesus is born and he's given the name the Lord saves. And this tells us about the mission of Jesus, what he's all about. It means we need saving from something. Uh, it's this invitation to a better way. Whether you look at the context of what Jesus is being born into, I mean, for a long time, God's people have kind of made a mess of things, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's now. And now, in the first century, God's people, they have, like, the Romans are crushing them. They're being oppressed. So there's, there's different levels, different facets of saving that Jesus has come to do. Sometimes it's, it's from, hey, you just need to be, make better choices and you need forgiveness for that and I'm coming to offer that and, and show you a better way. And sometimes it's, you're getting crushed here and you need help, so I'm going to help you with that. But what the angel says in the Gospel of Luke is, I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all the people. Good news. That's pretty self-explanatory. This is, this is good. No part of this is bad. <laughs> uh, and this, is, this news is going to be, it's of great joy, which means this news is going to bring about some, so, some sort of positive response. There is uh, a response of joy, a response of excitement. This news of the birth of the Messiah is going to lead to something good. And the angel says, it is for all the people. All the people. And Luke, the writer of this gospel, is the one who writes the book of Acts, where the gospel then gets spread to the people who aren't Jewish. The word for that was Gentiles. I bring you good news that's going to be of great joy for all the people, which means there was a great expectation that this thing is going to be taken somewhere. This birth is going to lead to something, what's often called in the Bible the the kingdom of God. I mean, this thing's going to spread. This thing is going to grow. There is no one who this news will not touch. So the birth of Jesus, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Lord saves, it is something that is supposed to actually unite us, not separate us. It's supposed to unite us. It's supposed to be in some way true for everybody. It's something that's supposed to help us feel accepted just as we are, no matter who we are. And at the same time, it is 
supposed to be something that helps us want to be at our best. Which brings up the question, this, this Christmas season, are you at your best? Because wherever you're at, whoever you are, I mean, Jesus was, you're worth being born for. Don't ever let anyone tell you differently. Jesus was actually born for you. He was born for me. He accepts us just as we are. But there's also this element to, uh, there are ways, for me, for you, where we're not at our best right now. And the birth of Jesus is an invitation that says, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. See, the birth of Jesus says that God accepts you wherever you're at, but God never wants to keep you there. There's always a step forward to take. Maybe another way to say it is, there's more. There's more. The birth of Jesus says that there's more. There's a better way. Uh, My daughter, one of her best friends in school, she is actually quite brilliant, and she recently lost a tooth. And this is the story that my daughter came home telling us, and I've never confirmed or the story with her parents, and I don't really want to because there's, then there's a chance that it's not true, and I want it to be true because it's fantastic. And so this first grader lost a tooth recently, and as the story goes, she puts the tooth under her pillow at night, and then she sets up an iPad, whether it's her iPad or parents' iPad, I don't know, and hits record and records through the night. And during the night, one of her parents came and brought in uh, the money, the toy, I don't know what it is her family does, uh, tooth fairy tradition-wise, but brought it in. And then, <laughs> and then the girl gets up the next day and looks through the video and sees this parent come in and <laughs> drop off the money, the toy, and she now knows that the tooth fairy is not, <laughs> not real. This is actually, this is the story I got. Again, I don't know if this is true. I kind of hope it is because it's fantastic. So she comes to school and tells my daughter this story, this story in theory. Now, why did this girl hit record in, in the first place? I mean, she was told at some point, hey, there's a tooth fairy. Um, but then she started thinking, okay, there's more. There's more to this. I'm not going to believe this just because someone told me anymore. So I'm going to do some investigative work myself. And so she comes and tells my daughter at school. And we, this is our second year now of doing Elf on the Shelf. Are you familiar with Elf on the Shelf? I think actually my mom um, bought them for us last Christmas, before last Christmas. And um, my, my wife comes from the tradition where they never talked about Santa really, like her parents never told them there was a Santa Claus and my parents did. And so naturally when we had kids, I thought, um, yeah, of course we're going to do Santa. And my wife's like, no, of course we're not. And so we've, if you can combine those two ideas, we've kind of done it. (laughs) I don't know how, which seems inconsistent, but, uh, we've managed to do it. And then my mom buys us these elves, Elf on a Shelf, and, and one of my wife's things was, you know, I don't want to lie to our kids with Santa, which I get it, but I'm okay lying, <laughs> lying to my kids, apparently, in the name of fun. Um, and so now we're in a position where we have these elves, and, like, we're trying not to lie to them about Santa, but we'll totally lie to them about elves flying around our house in the middle of the night. It's fantastic. But but my daughter hears the story about the Tooth Fairy, 
and comes home saying, this was last week, uh, the elves don't really fly, do they? You guys move them in the middle of the night, don't you? We're like, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? And so she tells us this tooth fairy story. And we're like, and I don't know how we got around it. My wife is brilliant. And um, so she goes to bed. But before she went to bed that night, she wrote letters and put them in envelopes. One envelope was addressed to our elves. Their names are Cutie and Pie. So you have this letter inside an envelope sealed, and it just says Cutie and Pie on it. And then you have another letter, two other letters actually, sealed, um, addressed to mom and dad. And she lays them on the counter by wherever the, by where the elves were that night. And she said to the elves before she went to bed, elves, can you please read these letters and respond to me? And so it's the cutest thing ever. Um, so they had to go to bed and I'm like, what do we do? There's one addressed to the elves, two addressed to us. We know she's questioning this. What are we going to do? Again, my wife is brilliant. She says, okay, she's, she's testing us. If we open the ones that are addressed to us, she'll know that we're the ones who move them because the elves would not open the letters to mom and dad. And so we leave those alone. Uh, we open the letter addressed to the elves and the letter says, dear elves, please tell me if my mom and dad move you. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, and so... They're in the habit of asking elves questions at night, and then my wife will write a letter in response from the elves to them. And so she has her own elf handwriting that she does this in. Uh, and so she, she responds with, again, some brilliant response. Um, we're just going to have fun tonight. She totally, like, skirts around the question, but also kind of makes our kids think, oh, they fly. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and so the next morning, my daughter comes down and she sees that the elf letter was opened and responded to and the mom and dad letters were not opened. And she said to me at breakfast, why didn't the elves open these letters? And I said, well, they were just to mom and dad. Like I didn't, if, 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 if they were just to the elves, they would open them, but, but they probably thought that mom and dad were going to open them. But you never told us, I said, you never told us that you were addressing us letters. So we never really looked at them. And <laughs> <laughs> lying in the name of fun. Uh, and then she tells me it was a trap. <laughs> she wanted to see if the elves really fly or if we move them. And so she came up with this whole scheme to see. But why did she do it? She, like her friend at school, had this question like, oh, there must be more. There's more. Yeah, my mom and dad tell me that the, the elves fly, but um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to believe that anymore just because... Someone told me. And there's actually, I say this because there is a really, really, really healthy aspect of this. And you see it when people start having questions about their faith or doubting. And it oftentimes comes from, okay, these people, a lot of times parents, um, sometimes pastors, whatever, told me to believe this. And it worked for a while. But now I'm to a point where uh, I can't believe this anymore just because someone told me this. You, you, you hear this all the time with the Christmas story. Things, things like, uh, did God really become human? Was there really a virgin birth? All of this stuff. Uh, and oftentimes the questions are a really, really healthy thing because it helps people go think and talk to people and figure it out for themselves what they believe. Um, 
And oftentimes they come back with actually a stronger faith and belief than they ever could have had by believing something just because someone told them to. So I think in, in a way, the birth of Jesus, it's an announcement that there's more, that, that there's a better way, whether it's how we're living, decisions we're making, uh, to turn from one way and go toward another way of living, or whether it's simply thinking through what it is we believe, which ideally will lead us back to a deeper, more authentic faith, because now it's actually us who is deciding to believe this and not somebody else. So your, your humanity is good, and there's a better way. You're worth being born for. And then third, the birth of Jesus says that you can always be confident that God is with you. You can always be confident that God is with you. Back to Matthew's gospel and and his story of the birth of Jesus. Back to chapter 1, back to verse 23, Matthew quotes an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, and writes, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Jesus means the Lord saves. Emmanuel means God with us. And what the birth of Jesus does, and what even this phrase, God with us, does, it it, it flips around uh, what it means to be powerful, what it means to be influential. It, It totally takes the power structures of the day and flips it on its head. Because again, they're in a culture where the Romans are killing them because of their physical power and their army and their kind of authority through strength and what they can get people to do out of fear because if they don't do it, then they'll kill them. But what the Jesus movement does, it comes along and says, no, 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 no. What actually matters are, are things like who you love or who you serve not about what you can financially afford. By the way, there's, a, there, there's an aspect to this that, that refers to, to, to how we handle Christmas as well. It's the power now, is, it isn't what you can make people do. It isn't what you can get. It isn't who you can control. It isn't your title or your status. It's how you love. It's how you serve. It's whether or not you can actually be present in a situation. And, I mean, presents, buying presents on Christmas, fantastic. We did our our family Christmas last night because we're going out of town in a couple days and watching our kids open their gifts and then running around and, and like, fist pumping because they got, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Um, But we know that that's not the real joy of Christmas. I mean, if, if I sit there and open a present from my kids alone when they're not with me, or if they open presents from us alone and we're not with them, uh, that doesn't really do it for us. No, no. It's actually the presence. It's actually being with one another. There's a, there's a passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus goes to this home 
of two women named Martha and Mary. And Martha is, is, we're told, Luke says she's distracted by all the preparations she's trying to make. And she's doing all this stuff around the house. And her sister Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, just being with him, just just learning from him, just being present. And Mary, uh, Martha starts complaining, says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Like, tell her to help me. Tell her to get, get busy here. Get to work. And Jesus responds to Martha. He says, you're worried and upset about many things. You have a lot of things going on in your head. Luke calls it distraction. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love that line, Mary has chosen what is better. I mean, what, what is it? What, what's better? What's he talking about? Uh, a couple things. One, she's just present. She's just with, with Jesus. And two, she's, she's, she's learning from Jesus. She's chosen what's better. So another question here, how can you choose what's better this Christmas? How can you be with others, be present, not be distracted? How can you slow down? How can you relax? How can you learn from other people? How can you learn from Jesus? How can you be reminded that you are, in fact, worth being born for? Maybe it's, it's, it's sure, buy presents for people. That's awesome. Uh, but maybe it's also you take someone out for a cup of coffee or for breakfast or you take someone to Bohemian Rhapsody with you. How can you spend time with people? And that's what it's all about. Yeah, the birth of Jesus says that you can always be confident that God is with you, that God is present. I mean, that's what the word becoming flesh is about. You're worth being born for. Your humanity is good. There is a better way. There's more. And you can always be confident that God is with you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Fast forward a couple thousand years after the birth of Jesus. And here's here's what I believe to be true. God hasn't changed his plans. God hasn't changed his plans. God still wants to be with us. God still wants to show us a better way. God still wants us to appreciate our humanity. God isn't done with you. God isn't done with us. And I believe God wants us to enjoy this Christmas season. God wants us to sit in what this is all about. And God wants us to see how he is good. How the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people and how all people includes us. Well, much love to you. Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and we'll see you soon. Peace.